Well, today not only do we have a child dedication, but we have my good buddy Andy Shanholtz is going to be speaking today in our series Out of Order. Um, I've known Andy um, just for a few months, but he and I have a standing coffee appointment, which we never did get our uh, not the last our, one the last one taken care of. But uh, but I got to go out to lunch, so That's that worked true. out. That worked out nice. <laughs> but anyways, uh, Andy, uh, we we support Andy's ministry, uh, Freedom Life Skills. That's uh, in Sheboygan. They uh, he shares a facility there with great marriages, and I'm sure he's going to tell you a little bit about that. But he, I just thought what uh, we've been talking about in this out of order series as Andy and I were conversing one day over coffee. Uh, about a month ago or so, I, I said, you know what, I think that what you're sharing and what you're doing would fit perfectly with what we've been doing in this series. And uh, so I'm honored that you're here, sir. Thank uh, you. Andy's a part of our church and we're glad to have him. And uh, would you please make Andy feel welcome this morning, word of grace. Thank you, brother. Yep. Bless you. I'm just blessed and honored to be here today, see so many old friends, and a little bit about myself. Um, I grew up in West Virginia, so periodically I'll throw out words, I make up words as I go along. So uh, if, you, if I say something that doesn't make sense, it's probably a West Virginianism. So, um, but I, I was actually a part of this church for about 12 years. I was here with Pastor Kirby, and actually the founding pastors, Ernie and Norma LaPointe, uh, several years ago, and then I was on staff with Pastor Kirby for about 12 years. Then the Lord led us to another church here in town, uh, Praise Fellowship. We were there for about 10 years. I was a staff pastor there. But I've always had a passion and a heart for hurting people. And I'm going to share a little of my story with you here today so you get to net, better to know me a little bit. But, you know, there are, I have several friends here. I was on the, on the board with Wayne Warnicke and some of the other people here for several years. But there are probably some things they don't know about me that I'm going to be sharing today. One of the things that God has really has done in my own life was to help me to become transparent, genuine, and authentic. One of the things that, one of the greatest compliments that I've ever received is people say, Pastor Andy is real. Pastor Andy is genuine. Because I've, I've, I've done this journey, I've walked this walk with most of you, and I, so I'm going to share some things that I believe that will really bless you. But about two years ago, I received the, the call to hit up a ministry called Freedom Life Skills. It's a ministry based out of Denver, Colorado. I oversee Manitowoc, Sheboygan, and Ozaki County. I'm going into the communities. I'm running classes there. I set up classes. I train uh, other people. And the primary, the gist of this, I have a table out here as well with a lot of information, so I don't want to give a little sales pitch and tell you what we're all doing, but I have a table out there with information. Long story short, what we do is we help people make sense of their madness. Do you ever wonder why you say or do something and, and you know it's going to get you into trouble, but the moment you say it, the moment you do it, it comes back to bite you. And sometimes they'll say, you know, you're acting like a child. Do you ever hear that? Don't nudge your partner. But, but do you ever hear that, that you're, you're really acting like a child here? I mean, you're an adult, but you act like a child. And so one of the things that helped me do was to make sense of my own madness. Why I would react certain ways to certain things consistently, but it didn't make sense. And one of the things that we talk about is how we live reactive lifestyles, where the wounds of our past drive our behavior. Because you see, friends, sometimes we do things which is the result of past trauma or victimization that we've experienced as children that cause us to say and do things as adults that you don't know where that comes from. And so I'm going to share a little bit about that with you here this morning. The title of my message is called Putting Away Childish Things. 
One of the things that we also do, we go into the jails, the Department of Corrections, we go into the public school systems. I just completed a class in Port Washington with 11 students. You know, and, and, and we just had this very traumatic event here in Sheboygan Falls. And one of the common denominators that we found with a lot of these young men that are, their next step is jail or prison. I'm talking 14-year-old boys to 17-year-old boys. And one of the common denominators is that they don't have a father figure in their lives. When I did this graduation, uh, when I, first of all, when I did this class, it really stretched me. It took me out of my comfort zone. These kids were chaos on steroids. And I'm so used to things being done methodically and in order, but these kids were out of control. And simply because they were living out of the wounds of their past, they had experienced rejection, and they lived out accordingly as if they were unloved or something was wrong with them. So they would begin to lash out and attack me so, so that I couldn't get close to them. But, you know, when we, and, and I had them for 12 weeks, and when they finally graduated, every one of these young men came up and gave me a hug. One young man who was spending weekends in jail came up and hugged me again. And he said, you know, he says, this class is like family. I'm really going to miss this class. Take that back, about three or four weeks prior to that, they were writing in their journal, this class sucks. <laughs> that was really good for my ego. So I'm thinking, well, how am I going to reach these kids? I mean, I mean, you know, they're so multitasking and all these things. But now I go into the jails. I'm into the jails, and, and after they graduate my class, it's a 30-week program, and each class lasts three hours. And, and one of the guys says, you know, if I would have had this program five years ago, I would still be married, and I definitely would not be in jail. One of the things we have experienced over the last five years, we've had over 500 couples on the verge of divorce that would go through our program. And every one of them have reconciled. Because we help them to identify their own issues instead of blaming their spouse or their children or the life circumstances. We get them to identify what is wrong with me. Why do I react this way all the time? And that's what Life Skills does. So if you have your Bible, open to with me to 1 Corinthians 13, verse 11. I want to continue on with the series that Pastor Derek has been teaching, Out of Order. What I really hope to accomplish in this message here this morning is to maybe give you some understanding why we are out of order. Why we experience some of the dysfunctions in our lives that we have. And we're going to find that the problem is we think it is normal. We think the things that we are going through is normal, so there's no need or desire to even change because if it's normal, why change? But we're going to find that a lot of the, our behaviors and a lot of the things that we are going through is the result of past trauma and victimization that we've experienced as children growing up. And we begin to continue to act like that. I thought it was interesting in 1 Corinthians 13, verse 11, the Apostle Paul says this, When I was a child, I spoke as a child. I understood as a child. I thought as a child. But when I became a man... I put away childish things. It says, when I became a man, I put away childish things. The problem that I find is a lot of times we as adults act like children. In the, especially in the areas of conflict resolution and con the way that we express our anger and in the way that we receive and give love. A lot of times, if you would stop and look at it from the outside looking in, it is a very selfish approach it's all about me and not about the other person. So a lot of our whole 
strategy is manipulation. What can we do to get them to do what I want them to do instead of preferring the brethren and finding out what should I do to promote them, to help them to meet their needs? You know, there's five things we find, and these five things may help you. We say these are the five criteria to see if you're a candidate for our program. If you have experienced rejection, incest, molestation, emotional or physical abuse before the age of puberty, the chances are your emotions get frozen to that, at that point of trauma and you will act out in the area of conflict resolution, the expression of love, and your display of anger as a child. And I'm going to show you how this is all going to tie together. You see, I want to share a little bit of my own story. As I mentioned, I grew up in West Virginia when I was about eight or nine, my mother started to have an affair. And it's not something I'm proud of. It's something that, that I've had to work through. In fact, it helped understanding the things that happened in my family has helped me to understand the person I am today and why I reacted the way I do to certain situations. My mother began having an affair when I was eight or nine. I was the oldest of five kids. The affair she was having was with, was with my uncle. At 13, my mother walked out the door got in the car with my uncle and drove away. And I'm standing there, and 41 years ago to this day, it's still imprinted in my mind. I'm holding my baby sister's hand. She's about three years old. She goes, where's mommy? Where's mommy going? When's mommy coming home? I didn't know how to answer that. I was 13 years old. But I became a surrogate parent to begin to raise my brothers and sisters to help them to, to get them ready for school and to become like a parent. Fast forward a couple years, I ended up, getting really sick, we were all put into foster homes. So I grew up in a foster home for the last, from the time I was 16 till the time I was 18. But the problem was, in my subconscious mind, I began to wonder, what is wrong with me? Is there something wrong with me that, that my mother, the one whom God puts into her heart to love me, to care for me, to nurture me, she abandoned us. She walks out the door. How can a mother do that? There must be something wrong with me. Every child before the age of puberty will, be, will think that they will assume 100% responsibility for the divorce or the death of a parent or a relative that is living in the home. They may not know it consciously, but, they're, but they act out accordingly. That's why you can't get close to them. They will push you away. They will sabotage relationships because they don't want to experience that hurt or pain again. My mother and I, last year, actually this year, April, have finally reconciled. After 40-some years, she wrote me a letter asking for forgiveness and explaining why she did what she did. Didn't justify it, but my mother was 14 when she married my dad. My dad was 21. My mother is only just under 16 years older than I am. But my mother was looking for a father because she found her dad's body in a car accident on her way home from school, found him in a ditch. So she was traumatized and not having... A father, she married my dad, who became a father to her and began to basically to raise her. But God can fix those things. What I'm saying is that we are out of order because we live reactive lives and we don't know why we say and do the things that we do to push people away, to sabotage relationships. You know, it, and, it, it just, we, and it just make, it doesn't make sense to us, but that's what we do. But the thing we've learned about in our program is that if we, can, if we can understand something, we can fix it. If we don't understand it, it drives us crazy. And so our job is to help you make sense of some of the madness we have experienced. 
See, my ability, because of the rejection I experienced, I had a very difficult time having relationships with a woman. I didn't trust women. I would go into a relationship, I would break it off, I'd begin to date her sister or her best friend just to, to, just to hurt her, to make her feel the pain that I was experiencing. You think, wow, what a, what a jerk this guy is. So I didn't know why I did that. It was because of the pain I was experiencing, and I didn't want to be hurt again. And some of you are probably here today can identify with the things I'm telling you. Some of you probably have experienced rejection. And maybe there's been sexual abuse in your life. And maybe there has been physical and emotional abuse. And, and, you, and you're so guarded. In fact, when you experience these wounds in your life, you have the inability to trust anybody. You're very suspicious about people. That's why it's so hard when, when people are, are going through these different things in their lives. It's so hard for them to embrace the truth because you're so suspicious and standoffish that you, can't, you, you cannot handle any authority figure, let alone the ultimate authority in God. It pushes you away. And it's called reactive living. The wound of our past drives our behavior. You know, most children, we just had our children dedication here. And they look so cute with the little ribbons on and their little bows and stuff like that. But most kids are very self-centered. And if you have a little child that uh, they want to eat and you've got 100 things to do, it doesn't matter about the 100 things you've got to do. They want to eat. If they're wet, they want to be changed. They want to be changed now. Not when you get around to it. They want it now. They're very self-centered. They're very me-oriented. And they demand instant gratification. Your little children, your little darlings. But you know, science has shown us that children before the age of puberty have the inability to see the complete big picture. They can't see the big picture. They can only focus on one thing at a time. A good example is a, a little child is, is, is playing with a ball out in the street, and they kick the ball, and the ball goes into the road. And the child, what will the child do? Does the child look to the left or to the right? No, the child can only focus on that ball, and they will run and, and go after that ball because that's all they can see. Because they cannot see the world view around them. And then the father, whoever's in the yard, will say, stop. And the child will stop. Now let's fast forward that too. That's, that's kind of interesting as a child. But let's fast forward to an adult. Now wives, be, don't, don't cheer me on when I say this. But your husbands come home from a day of work. And they start shedding their clothes as they walk through the door. And they're leaving a trail. Because all they can see is the remote control over here. And their recliner. See, the chances are they may be arrested in their emotional development because of past traumas. And we're going to help uncover that here today. In Luke chapter 4, verse 18, it says that at the very beginning of Jesus' public ministry, he makes this statement. I have another sermon called The Rebuilding of the Ruins of Our Lives. I have a, a CD out there. In fact, working on a book with that same title. But it, and it's based upon this text. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me. Because he has anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted. To proclaim liberty to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind. To set at liberty those who are oppressed. The King James says those who are bruised. Those bruises are hurts beneath the surfaces. You see friends, when we see people set free from their respective captivity, we are preaching the gospel of the kingdom. Whether it be the captivity to sin captivity to something that has happened to us uh, years ago or the captivity to the entirety of one's past. Many have been held captive by childish things which can only be liberated through the power of the living God. See, one of the great misconceptions that we have today is that people automatically grow up in maturity because they grow physically. 
Nothing can be farther from the truth. There are many people who, as far as chronological progress is concerned, they're mature. But when emotions and spiritual things are taken into account, they still may act like infants or little children. I've been in some church board meetings, and I can tell you there are a lot of arrested development in those meetings. I can say that because I'm not involved in church politics anymore, Pastor Derek. (laughs) But, you know, I used to get so frustrated in preaching the Word of God. I love the Word. The Word of God is my passion. It has been my passion probably for almost 40 years. I love the Word. I will labor. I will study the Word. I will study the Greek, the Hebrew, the cultural significance. I will get into it. I will labor over this Word. And I get so giddy, so excited about the Word of God. I'm so passionate about it. And I come out here to a church that's like this. It's all full. And I begin to just proclaim the Word. I'm quoting the Scripture. And it looks like their eyes are starting to roll back in their head. When's this guy going to be done? Can I go to the bathroom? See, that's the attitude of a five-year-old. And, and I begin to say, well, God, what is the problem? Why can't they be as excited about the word as I am? And, and you know, when, when I get done carrying on, God just says, are you done? Let me ask you something. Andy, when you have the flu, what do you feel like? I said, well, I want to get better or die. There's no in-between. And God says, Andy, the problem is the people that you are preaching to, they have the emotional flu. They cannot get beyond the pain that they are experiencing in their life right now. Yes, they have a relationship with Jesus Christ, but their pain, but their faith will not go deeper than the pain of their wounds. And so they kind of cap that off right there. And, and, begin to, and every time you begin to deal with those areas of pain in their lives, they will run from it. And they begin to say, I don't, I don't want to go there. How many, have anyone like that other than me? I don't want to go there. I don't want to face the pain. It was too painful. But let me tell you this, friends. I've talked to doctors, and they said that if they have to reset a limb, if they've got to re-break a limb and reset it because it wasn't set properly the first time, that pain is 100 times worse than setting it right the first time. So when we are giving you instruction to go in and to face your pain and to begin to deal with it and take it to the cross, even though it's painful, we don't want to ignore it, but we want to face it and go through it and take it to the cross and say, Lord, pour in the oil and the wine and heal the pain of my wounds. And God will do that. See, spiritual maturity is not based on time. It comes from godly character. So back in 1 Corinthians 13, 11, I want to build off of this text. It says, Paul says, I put away childish things. In the Greek, it's very strong. Paul says this in the Greek. He says, I rip out childish behavior by the roots. Hmm, there, there is a root system there. And how many know when you pull up the roots, sometimes there are some residuals that will still grow up around. And you still have to deal with those issues in your life. So many are saying, well, Pastor, that sounds good, but how do I do that? How do I rip out those childish things? How do I rip out those things that is bringing disorder in my life? How do I do those things to, to bring functionality to someone who is so dysfunctional? How do I do that? The first thing we have to do, we have to recognize that childish behavior may still dwell within us. We have to recognize that childish behavior may still dwell within us. We can't be in denial. We have to realize that it may still be there, that we are indeed the product of our upbringing. Now, I'm not saying we blame our parents. We're not blaming our parents for anything. We're trying to identify where these things come in because we replicate what we know. See, we reproduce those things that are familiar to us. We don't know any better. But when we can identify 
the childish behavior in our lives, we can then take it to the cross and ask God to give us grace to bring some normalcy, which is his word. The word is truth and is the truth that sets us free. In Isaiah chapter 11, verse 6, it says, a little child will lead them. Now, that's, that's referring to the millennial kingdom, but let me, I'm going to use that conversely. A little child may lead them, but conversely, a little child may be misleading us because we may be responding to the things of, as a result of the wounds of our past. See, all, too, all, too often, these children mislead us because we are a tapestry of our past, woven together by our childhood, our adolescence, and our adult years. And sometimes this hidden child within us may be the determining factor in our life. We don't know why we, do, we act like children. It's interesting, in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verses 1 through 3, it says, And I, brethren, could not speak to you as spiritual people, but as carnal, as to babes in Christ. I fed you with milk and not with solid food, for until now you were not able to receive it. Even now you are still not able, for you are carnal. For where there are envy, strife, and divisions among you, are you not carnal and behaving like mere men? You see, friends, a carnal man is a believer with childish ways. A carnal man is a believer with childish ways. Let me share with you an example of my own life. Reactive living. When I first moved to Sheboygan in 1980, I worked for a furniture factory called Eben Riders. Ebco Contract Furniture. We made quality furniture, hotel, motel, residential furniture. I started wiping stain, I started building furniture, then a couple of years I got promoted to the lead man, then I became a supervisor overseeing the whole plant. And so, so not only did I build furniture, I also gave instructions to other people how to build furniture, then I got moved into the office to help them put together instruction sheets of how to build the stuff. But every time my wife would buy something, whether it be a nightstand or end table or something like this, she would bring this thing in all happy that she brought the stuff in and be in a box. She said, look, honey, look what I bought. I said, why can't you buy that put together? Why do I have to build this? How old am I at that point? I'm about six, seven years age. And it didn't make any sense. I built furniture for a living and I would go into this tirade and I wouldn't talk to her for two or three days. She bought me a, radio, a, a table saw one time and sat in a box for three years. And I built furniture. It made no sense. And then one day, when you are able to deal with the, the wounds of your past, God be, brought it to my understanding why I acted like that. It was almost like I was transported back in time. And I'm sitting as an eight-year-old boy next to my dad. We, and let's say I grew up in West Virginia. I didn't have indoor plumbing or running water until I moved to Oshkosh in 1976. I'm not that old, friend. I know that's debatable. But I didn't have running water indoor plumbing. We were very, very poor. And, my, and I'm, so I I'm I'm see myself in a picture. I'm sitting next to my dad. He's got his hand underneath the car. He says, Junior, when I tell you, take that part out of the box and hand it to me so I don't have to move my hand and I can put it into the car and fix that part. What does an eight-year-old boy do when he's told to take something out of a box? I took it out and I handed it to him in two pieces. My dad went ballistic. He says, you're the dumbest SOB I've ever seen. You make me sick. I didn't tell you to break it. I told you to hand it to me. Get away from me. You disgust me. My dad was my hero. That, re that memory I had stuffed for 40-some years. Now, I fast forward that to, to, to the present. When my wife asked me to take something out of a box and to put it together, 
My subconscious mind does not have the ability to discern uh, today from, from the past. See, your subconscious mind cannot identify truth from fantasy until you give it a reality check. You have to tell it what is true. Let me say, let's talk the language that you know. Everybody knows about Google. Google's like God, right? <laughs> so we go into Google. Anytime you want to search for something, you put in the word that you're looking for or the item you're looking for, and it will come up in matters of seconds. In order to narrow the search, you've got to give it more information, and then it comes up. Well, my subconscious mind is like that. It would associate every event with the first trauma that I experienced in my life. So every time my wife would ask me to take something out of a box, my subconscious mind says, you're a dumb SOB. And, you're, and the one who loves you is going to yell at you. That's why I reacted that way. I didn't know why I acted that way. My subconscious had associated the event of taking something out of a box and being screamed at about my dad. And I wouldn't do that. Until I understood and said, Wait a minute, that's my wife asking me to do something and not my dad. So I gave it a reality check, and now I'm able to fix things and do things. She bought me a nice, huge bookshelf for my office. Normally, I would have sat there. In fact, I'd still be sitting there <laughs> two, years, two years ago. But I put it together within a couple hours because I had been set free from that lie that I'm not dumb, that I have some measure of intelligence. And I know that's debated by church circles around the country, but I have some measure of intelligence, and, and, and so, so I was able to put this stuff together because I had dealt with that wound of my past. Number two, you have to know that God wants to remove childish behavior by healing your past wounds. Know that God wants to he- remove childish behavior by healing your past wounds. You see, friends, it is imperative that we recognize our childish ways and by the power of the word of God and God's enabling grace to grow in truth. You see, friends, if you are stuck in childish things, then it is difficult to serve others because it's all about you. It's, that's why I used to lead small groups. It was like pulling teeth to get people to be involved in small groups. Why? Because it's all about them. They don't want to serve. They don't want to get involved in helping other people because they feel, if you know, really know who I am, you won't like me. I'm not going to be transparent. I'm not going to be authentic to these people. I don't even like these people. But you see, if you are stuck It will isolate you from functioning in the body of Christ, thus preventing you from reaching your full potential. If you're functioning in childish behavior, it will prevent you from reaching your full potential. In Ephesians chapter 4, verses 14 and 15, it says that we should no longer be children tossed to and fro and carried about with every wind of doctrine by the trickery of men and the cunning craftiness of deceitful plotting, but speaking the truth in love that we may grow up in all things and to him who is the head Christ. But I, but I like this first part. It says that we should no longer be children tossed to and fro by every wind of doctrine. How many know that children are very gullible? You can tell them anything and they will believe it. I remember, I'm going to embarrass my little daughter. But I remember when she was real little, she went to school and she came home one day and her lip was quivering. And I said, honey, what's wrong? They laughed at me. Laughed at you? What do you mean? Well, everybody was saying that I'm from, they were asking about our nationalities, our heritage. You know, granted, I'm from West Virginia. So you know what my heritage is, right? I'm a hillbilly. <laughs> now, there's two types of hillbillies, just for clarification. There are the refined hillbillies from West Virginia and, there's, and those from Arkansas. <laughs> the pastor would probably tell you it's the other way around, but, I, but I got, I'm up here today. 
But my little girl, she was quivering her lips, and she, and she was so upset. Because when she was real little, running through the house, because there's my little hillbilly baby. She's barefoot. She's so cute. Little ponytail. She's running through the house. Oh, you cute little hillbilly, you. <laughs> so, of course, when they asked her, what is my nationality? There were Germans. There were Dutch. There were Norwegians. She raises her hand. I'm a hillbilly. <laughs> so she was so upset. My wife says, don't you talk to your daughter ever again. <laughs> well, I could have said she's Appalachian American, but she wouldn't have got it. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> she goes, you know you're German and Dutch? German and Dutch? I'm a tight wad with an attitude. I'd rather be a hillbilly. <laughs> Some of my students are here. I don't want to see if they're healed. But you know, I grew up in an apple orchard in West Virginia. And one of the jobs that I had to do every spring was to cut suckers out of a tree. Everybody know what suckers are? Fruit suckers? That was my job. I had to cut suckers out of the tree. Here's the thing about a sucker. A sucker grows from the base of the tree. They look exactly like the tree. In fact, it actually will have leaves but a sucker is incapable of producing fruit. And what a sucker does, it begins to extrapolate the nutrients from the tree and prevents the tree from producing fruit to its maximum potential. We have a lot of suckers in our lives that is preventing us from reaching our maximum potential in Christ because of the wounds of our past that we need to take to the cross and deal with it and stop denying it. And that's what we need to do, is realize that sometimes we develop this pseudo-personality. Because you see, friends, when you are traumatized and wounded as a child, and your emotions get frozen in that point of trauma, your core gets, gets stuck, and your core is not developed. Our core is where the character Christ is to be reproduced in us. But that gets, that gets stuffed down, and we begin to develop this pseudo-personality, which is that I am what you want me to be. I, my whole life is lived based upon the expectations of other people. I can be this way over here, and I can be this way over here, and I can be this way back there. I, I am what you want me to be because I don't know who I am. And there's so many of us that don't know who we are and what God has called us to be because of the wounds of our past. Thirdly, we have to identify the areas where the childish ways can be seen. And here's where rubber meets the road. We have to identify the areas where the childish ways can be seen. And most likely, this will be in the situations that we share with those whom, with whom we love the most. I find it interesting in 1 Corinthians 13, that is what we call the love chapter. I've done several weddings, and I know that a lot of the, a lot of the weddings, they always will quote 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verses 4 through 8. You see, friends, that's not romantic love. That's behavioral love. And I find that it's very interesting that within the context that Paul is talking about behavioral love, he says, I need to put away childish things and act as adults. Because, you see, as children, we are incapable of giving and receiving love. It's because our ability to receive love is very manipulative because we want something. And you fast forward that into a marriage relationship, and you see exactly the same thing, where it says love is kind, love is long-suffering, love is patient, love does not desire its own. But we always want our own way. And if, and if it doesn't work out, we go elsewhere. We'll try to find someone else that will love me the way I want to be loved. It's because you're not understanding 
the Bible definition of love. That this is a love that does not seek its own. It is not a love that tries to promote its own agenda. It is a love that gives without expecting anything in return. That's divine love. But yet, if I'm a child, I'm incapable of doing that. That's why healing has to come in that area. You see, the child in the area of marriage, the child will usually emerge in one of three areas in marriage. Money, sex, or the discipline of the children. Just think, man, one day you're at work and you come home and your wife has asked you to hang this picture or the shelf for about a month, two months, a year, and still hasn't got done. So she decides, well, if he's not going to do it, I'm going to do it. So she goes out into the garage, goes into your toolbox and grabs your Snapple and socket wrench and decides, I'm going to use that for a hammer. So you walk in and she's got that socket wrench that you paid a little bit for and she's putting up that picture and you walk in and go, hey, that's mine. How old am I at that point? About two. That's mine. Isn't it interesting? You go to the record collection. These are my CDs. These are your CDs. Hey, we're married. Aren't they ours? Ooh, it's getting real quiet here. (laughs) But you know, I have found it's interesting that we have these so many triggers that cause us to revert back in the area of, of conflict resolution. How we express our anger will be that of, as a child when we are faced with those issues. It's interesting, you know, we've done study that it's interesting that a woman will date the man but marry the boy. Think about that. She will date the man and marry the boy. Because when she's dating, he's very he's Prince Charming. He's pursuing her. He's communicative. He's able to talk and carry on a conversation. He buys her nice things. He, he just calls her on the phone and, hand, and, and doesn't say a word, but just breathes corrodes the mechanism inside the phone by breathing. It doesn't say anything. You hang up. No, you hang up first. No, you hang up. It's just nice with cell phones. You just click and be done. But, but, but now they get married and she dates the boy. He is not able to make a decision because he is wounded before the age of directives, before the age of 13. And he says, what do you want to do? How would you like? Would you like to go over here? Would you like to do this? It's like, it's like asking for permission. He's not able to make decisions. That was me. I could not make a decision because I was frozen in the age of directives. I wanted a mother. I didn't want a wife. I wanted a mother. And it messed up my marriage. Because a wife doesn't want to be treated like your mother. She wants to be your wife. It's a different role. She's not a replacement mother when you're married, guys. She's your wife. And she wants to be continued pursued. Not after, I do and you're done. No. The journey has just began. (laughs) And you're to walk together. In fact, our study shows that most men have the emotional capacity of a nine-year-old when he gets married. And what preacher is going to perform a wedding between an 18, 19, 20-year-old woman and a nine-year-old boy? (laughs) But that's exactly what we do. Here, give you an example. Most of our men in prison have the emotional capacity of a six-year-old boy. And here they're in, they're in 30, 40, 50, 60-year-old bodies, 19-year-old bodies with a, mind, with a mindset of a six-year-old, and we're incarcerating them. You know what happens when you put a room of six-year-olds together? No wonder there's chaos in our prison systems. A little child goes in the store with his mom, he knocks uh, the Fruit Loops in a, in a cart, and you, you look at the checkout, oh, that's cute, Fruit Loops. Well, you're an adult, you take the Fruit Loops, walk out without paying for it, you get arrested. 
And that's what happens is they think it's cute. They don't know that it's, that it's not normal. Second area is the area of communication. A child's communication is undisciplined. It's very self-centered. It's immature. It's manipulative. Sometimes it's pouting. They throw temper tantrums. They won't own their own problems. Instead of accepting responsibility, they will blame it on someone else. It's their fault. You know, it's like the, it's like the story of a, the mother, mother's making supper. And she tells the little boy, says, now I just made cookies. Those are for after dinner. Leave the cookies alone. So I got to go put, her, put the laundry away. So she walks in, she puts the laundry away. She comes back out and, then, and she goes, who ate those cookies? Dad? Dad's not even home. The, little, the, the kid has cookie crumbs around his mouth and he's up his elbows and digging into the jar. It's always somebody else's fault. They won't assume any responsibility. I remember my daughter was real, real little. We bought her this little panda bear. And she was just starting to talk. And so we said, what do you want to call this bear? She goes, a boo-boo. Okay. She still has this bear. And ever since she's had this bear, she's almost 25, she has never, ever did anything wrong since owning that bear. I remember one day I walked in and I looked and I noticed there was writing all over her bedroom wall. I go, honey, who wrote on that wall? A boo-boo. A boo-boo. I'm going to slap the stuffings out of that bear. <laughs> no, dad. All right. Never did write on the wall again. But you see, they won't own up to their own responsibility of the things that they've done. That is a child. They won't take ownership of bad behavior because they're wounded. They're frozen in their age of directives. And thirdly, it's in the area of attitudes. It's the way we view our life. It is our belief systems. It's my way or the highway. It's instant gratification. If it feels good, I'm going to do it. I must, meet my certain, I must meet certain standards of expectations to be accepted. I am defined by my failures. These are all belief systems. If we are wounded in our emotional development, that's how we will act. We are defined by my failures and not by my successes. You see, friends, if I'm stuck in childish ways, then I'm looking at life through my perspective instead of from God's perspective. Just ask yourself, how are you viewing life? Are you looking things at the things from God through the eyes of God? Or are you looking at it from your own perspective? If you are, you're arrested in your emotional development and you're incapable of seeing truth. Every one of my belief systems will fight against the gospel message. 1 Corinthians 14, 20 says, Brothers, stop thinking like children. In regard to evil, be infants, but in your thinking, be adults. You see, friends, this is where life skills comes in. It is a course that provides the process of the renewing of our minds so that we can reach the level of maturity emotionally so we can be the person that God has designed us to be. We have found in our research it takes three years to rewire your brain. In fact, we do brain scannings. We have, we have um, a documentation of, of a person's brain that changes when they receive Christ. There is a physiological change to a person's brain when they receive Jesus Christ. And it's interesting when you see this that you can actually see the wires beginning to rewire itself around the old belief systems. And, and what happens is the old belief system will reach up and begin to grab the new belief system and try to devour it. But what happens is if once you hold fast to the truth of God's word and allow the Holy Spirit to bring the changes about in your life, the old belief systems will atrophy and flush out through the bloodstream. 
That's a scientific documentation of what happens to a believer when they receive Jesus Christ. I find it, and so it takes about three years for us to renew our minds. Isn't it interesting that Jesus walked with his disciples for three years? In Romans chapter 12, verses 1 through 3, it says, Therefore, I urge you, brothers, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. This is your spiritual act of worship. Do not be conformed any longer to the pattern of this world, but be you transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will, his good pleasure, pleasing and perfect will. For by grace given to me, I say to every one of you, do not think of yourself more highly than you ought, but rather think of yourself with sober judgment in accordance with the measure of faith that God has given you. Let me close with this verse. 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 8. It tells us to be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary, the devil, walks about like a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. You see, friends, that is the devil's signature strength. He wants to devour you. The devil wants to devour your dreams. He wants to devour your ideas, your visions, and your unfulfilled desires. In short, Satan wants to abort your potential to prevent you from fulfilling your destiny. And so if he can wound you as a child, Jesus says, better that a millstone be placed around your neck that you offend one of these. But a lot of times we are offended as children. And we act as children in our ability to resolve conflict, to express anger, to show and to give love, that we are so wounded that the devil will keep us there to prevent us from reaching our full potential. We may be believers in Christ, but we're not going to grow to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ because we allow our wounds to dictate our behavior. I find it very interesting that if the devil can stop our conception and hinder our emotional development, the devil does not need to worry about his future. Because we will never reach our full potential in Christ. It says that the devil walks about like a roaring lion. And let me close with this illustration. Do you know why a, why the, why a lion roars? A lion's roar is the most blood-curdling, the most terrifying, the most horrifying sound that you will ever hear. When the animals, are, when the animals hear the lion is coming, they will hide. They will scatter and they will hide. But the lion will come into the middle of the jungle and he will just begin to roar. And when he roars... It is so horrifying that the animals will scatter. And the lion is just a big cat. And he will pounce on his these, on these prey and he will devour them. But if you would stay hidden, the lion will not find you. See, the devil is like that. We are, we are hid in the shelter of the almighty God. And when God says some things about us, if we don't hold fast to the promise that God has given us in his word, and we begin to look at our circumstances and see that they are bigger than our God, we will scatter and look for other means for a rescue. And then the devil will devour us. Friends, I want to pray for you right now. I believe this is the message that explains why we are out of order. Because if we are experiencing and reacting from the wounds of our past, we are incapable of reaching our full potential in Christ because we have to take those, those roots, those residual roots to the cross and say, God, heal me, deliver me so that I could be the person you want me to be. Would you bow your heads with me, please? You say, Pastor, I believe this message spoke to me. I believe there's some areas of my life that I'm, that I'm very childish in. I didn't say childlike. I said childish. And I believe that this here is affecting my relationships. I believe it's affecting who God wants me to be. If you raise your hand, I just want to pray for you. I'm not going to embarrass and call you out. I'm not going to have you come to the front. Just raise your hands. I just want to pray for you. Many hands. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Would you stand with me as I pray? I'm just going to pray a corporate prayer over all of you. 
Dear Lord Jesus, I just thank you for each and every person that is here. And Father, I pray right now that the strongholds in their life that is preventing them from reaching their full potential is now broken. And Father, I pray that you would help them to see the truth that they can be set free in their journey. Father, open the eyes of their understanding. And Father, if there's any lie that is preventing them from from receiving all that you have for them, Father, we come against that lie. And I speak healing and deliverance into their life right now. Father, help them to be set free from the bondages that has ensnared them. And Lord, if there be anyone here that doesn't know you as Lord and Savior, Father, I pray that today is the first day of the rest of their life. That today is their day of salvation. Father, I, I, if you are here and you don't know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, if you will pray something like this. Dear Lord Jesus, would you all pray that with me? Dear Lord Jesus, come into my heart. Forgive me of my sins. And now take control of my life. In Jesus' name. If you prayed that prayer for the first time, welcome to the family of God. God bless you. I'll be outside at the table, Pastor Derek.